Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DMVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're talking about the USC game. Um, to me, yeah, I, I think I could say that this is the first game that really felt like a true beatdown. And I know that that feels kind of weird to say when, you know, you lost 30-0 to zero to Minnesota, or there was the... I can't remember the score of that Arizona State game, um, but the, I mean that one wasn't all that close. What makes this one feel different is that USC was able to jump out to a pretty big lead early, which isn't something we've seen often. You know that that Minnesota game we talked about over and over. I think that was a 13-0 game with less than a minute left in the third quarter. The Buffs are right in that game most of the way. Um, a, a two-score game in college football is not that wide a margin. Um, so the game wasn't really over till the end. This USC game, it ended pretty quickly. Um, it, uh, it, 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 it was ugly. It was really ugly. And so we're going to dig into that and talk about why that was uh, in a couple minutes here. But I should also say, today is draft day for Jabari Walker. Um we're not obviously going to talk too much about that just because well, it's three o'clock now, which means the draft's in three hours. So you're, <laughs> you probably won't be able to hear it before the draft anyway. We'll really dig in tomorrow when we figured out where he lands, whether he gets drafted or, or signs as an undrafted free agent or takes a summer league invite or whatever. Um, so be on the lookout for that tomorrow. And there we go. Uh, any other notes? I mean, in the mock drafts that I've looked through, I found 26 mock drafts. He was chosen in 14 of them. 
does that mean there's a better than 50-50 chance he gets drafted? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, I guess I should also say I found 10 mock drafts from the last three days. I guess nine of them the last three days. One that came out four days ago, but pretty late in the day after I'd already put together the previous mock drafts. In those ones, I think it's five of the 10 he gets drafted in. It's rough. I mean, that's that's a stressful position to be in if you're Jabari Walker. Um, and obviously we're rooting for him. Uh, in the ones that he was selected, he averaged pick number 52.5 out of 58, um, which I guess is probably about what you expect. So big night, big night. Also big night for my Nuggets, but that's not what this podcast is about. Um, so I guess we can leave it there for NBA draft stuff. Um, no foot. Oh, no, actually, I should say, Two new commitments since we last talked. Um, and we'll say just really briefly, you have um, a tackle commit coming in today. His name is Drew Perez. He comes from, I think it's South Lake Carroll High School, which is, I think, just outside of Dallas. It's one of the, the big programs in Texas, which makes it one of the big programs in the country. I think they might have been undefeated last year, um, but but coming out of that school is a good sign. What stands out about him? Six foot eight, three hundred and thirty pounds. That's a big boy, and we'll talk about him, what that means for Nikhil Betran, all that sort of stuff, on tomorrow's podcast. Uh, there's actually going to be two podcasts up tomorrow. One that's mostly Jabari, maybe some other stuff. One that's about the two commitments. One being Drew Perez, the other being Taylor Starling, a safety who committed yesterday. Um, 5'11", 175, a little bit undersized. He's also a year away from showing up on campus. And, you know, if he shows up on campus at 190, all of a sudden, like, that's that's pretty average size for, for a, a safety. And you expect him to add on even more after that. Um, so a, a, a solid frame. I, I think that there's room for enough muscle on there. Um, but it kind of buzzes around. It's tough to see what exactly his long speed is. I don't think it's it's elite. I'll say that. I don't think he's somebody you look at and just say, wow, he's a burner. But I do think that it's pretty good. You know, there's clips of him running down guys in the open field. Um, is he doing that against Pac-12 players? I don't think so. But you also have to remember that he's not done developing physically either. So what does he look like in a few years? Who's to say? Um, played strong safety, rotated down, covered some slot receivers, has some versatility. The way the Buffs run these DBs, you could really see him going safety or corner, although playing strong safety is a pretty clear favorite in my mind. Maybe playing the star fits in there as well. Um, but there we go. Um, like I said, dig into those two more in depth tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. Um Basketball notes, none. Other sports, no real notes from me. And that means it's time to dig in. And we're going to start with this offense. Um, the, the, the problem in this game, well, the problem in every game is the offense, right? The offense, it was very rare that they held up their end of the bargain. Um, once again, they did not. They put up 14 points. It was a 37-14 loss. But you still look at games like this and say, yeah, you give up 37 points you're just not going to be in the game. And it's not fair to the defense to hold them to such a high standard because the offense is struggling the way that it did, but that's just the way that uh, it's the way that it works and we knew that coming into this game. Um digging into this offense though, 14 points, it's not great. Um that's that's 
in, in no way ideal. Uh, first score came on the last drive of the first half, pull within 20 to 7 before halftime. Um, there was a big play. Uh, actually, no, this wasn't the one with the big play. That was later on. That was later on. We'll get there. Um, Jarek had a nice run, his first big run of the day. Brady caught a pass. We're going to talk about him quite a bit. And and started at good field position, pretty close to midfield. Um, actually, across midfield, started off a fumble. Um, converted. Converted, though, and that's what mattered. Um, t- t- should say the... They did score another touchdown. That was the one with Brady's big play, 65 yards. That's a big number. 65 yards is a big play for Brady. You also, you know, when you hear something like that, you go back and think, well, Brady was the leading receiver. 65 yards on that one play. What does that mean about the rest of what Brady did? Um, And... You know, you go through, I think, what, did he finish just under 300 yards? I'm trying to pull it up. I have too many pages open. Um, I know I didn't leave that page. Oh, there it is. Yeah, so he finished with 307 yards. Take that 65-yarder away, all of a sudden he's down there. Again, it, you can't do that because he did give you those 65 yards, and those 65 yards did contribute to a touchdown. But, you know, it was just kind of fun looking back and thinking, you know, that was 20% of his yardage for the season. That that one play was, um, and he was your leading receiver. Not not a bad thing necessarily, but it is what it is. Um, before we dig in just a little bit deeper into more of my thoughts on Brady, um, you know that that touchdown drive was to pull within thirty to fourteen. Um, there was a fumble at halftime that set up a field goal. Um, there was a an interception later on from Brendan. Um, a lot of punts, a lot of punts. Any any big stats worth hitting? One of ten on third downs is notable. Two hundred and forty-two total yards is a pretty pretty gross number. Um, so there's your big picture stuff. There's your big picture stuff. Um, do do, 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 do we? Let's take it with Brady. So Brady has the big play. It's a big play that had been kind of set up all game. I mentioned the other catch earlier, 13 yards. That was when I think he caught three yards downfield, broke two tackles. Then there was like four guys who caught him, and he still pushed those guys forward. This is a Brady-Russell game. This is the Brady-Russell kind of game when you play a team like USC. What do you know about USC stereotypically? Smaller, faster, good athletes, those sorts of things. But... You know, when you have a, a good tight end, you can bully him just a little bit. Um, and, and that was the case with Brady in that game. Um, he, I mean, probably pretty clearly had the best game of, of his season. Three catches, 87 yards, doesn't get a touchdown, but it is what it is there. Um, I I think that that's really what stands out is, and it plays into this whole, you know, if you're going to beat Pac-12 teams, you got to be more physical than them. And that's something that Mike Sanford said a couple times now. Um, it's something that I think a lot of CU fans believe. Um, I know there's some who disagree, but a lot of them think, you know, if you're going to win in the Pac-12, you've got to be the team that's able to run on the others, that has the run defense. You've got to be able to out-physical the other teams, and that's how you win in this conference. Um, I think that that's proven true when you look at the success that Utah has and Oregon's had and Washington's had, Stanford had before all them. I mean, the, the Pac-12 champions typically – 
have been the most physical team in the conference that plays a pretty possession-based style of ball. Um, and the fact that Colorado couldn't do that in this game, I think stood out because you you look at what they're doing, and maybe even more so on the defensive side, honestly, but offensively as well. You know, when you can't get that running game going against these guys, that's tough because it's not like they're they're bad uh, along the defensive line. You know, their linebackers, I think, were pretty weak, but their defensive line, you know, you have guys like Drake Jackson, who we'll get to in a minute. Um, Tuli Tuipelotu's out there, right? Yeah, he's he's out there. Jay Figueroa's out there in that game. Those are very solid players, but if you have a good running offense, you should be able to run on them. Um, you should be able to run on them, and the physicality I think really shows on the other side of the ball. And we'll get there, um, but you know to see them start the way they started was disappointing. Um, they couldn't get anything going. Eventually, Jarek broke that 19-yard run I I talked about. And that kind of broke the seal a little bit. He was able to finish with 16 carries for 68 yards. Um, no other running backs, no other players with more than two yards per carry um, with his at 4.3. And, and honestly, he could have had a, a pretty solid day if he could have started a little bit hotter. Again, all this stuff has to do with the offensive line, and, and that's why you're not seeing more production from your running backs in almost all these games, and that was true in this one. But still... If if Jarrett could have gotten himself going, break break a couple tackles early, it would have been great. You know, it's it reminds me of these sorts of conversations about it's similar to this Avs playoff run, where you know you look back at that game where Darcy Kemper was terrible in goal. That was at game three, gives up six goals or whatever, five goals, and then gets pulled. And you look through and say like, well, maybe the first one was a little bit soft. Two through three, that defense just or two through. Uh, three, two, three, four t- goals. Two, three, and four. Like, of course, he gave those up. Like, he's, the defense collapsed. Guys are wide open front of the crease. Sometimes they're all alone right there. Sometimes they're just passing across to somebody else, and then there's no way the goalie can stop both of them. S- and, and you look at it and say, like, okay, goals one and five, he probably should have gotten those other th- those other three. He he was kind of stuck, but still. You think in the back of your head, while we can't really blame him for these goals, a good goalie finds a way to make a play, right? He steals one or two of those, right? And, and that's kind of what separates those great goalies from just like, yeah, you're a good goalie. Um, you, you do what's there for the most part and, and maybe make a play occasionally versus a star just makes ridiculous plays over and over again. It's similar with these running backs where you say like, yeah, you, you can't put it on Jarek that he wasn't successful there. You can't expect a guy to be successful there. There's no running lanes. The The blocking scheme just doesn't make sense. You know, there's a lot of plays where it's you're trying to run the ball to the inside. You have your tackles taking out the ends on the edges. You have your three interior linemen kind of like pushing all three of their guys into the middle. So you have kind of this little cluster in the middle. But then those two linebackers sitting behind all that, they're able to just say like, oh, look at these two massive running lanes they've developed. Those are the only two places he can go. We can each take one, and as long as we don't miss the tackle, this is a one-yard gain. And and the way that that all developed, like you, it, it at first you look at it, it's like, yeah, they really did create these big holes by pushing all these linemen together, and then you realize like, 
th- you're, you just set up a massive lane for this linebacker who has nothing to do except watch this one hole develop. There's no read that needs to be involved. There's no read that needs to be involved for the running back either. Like, there's no cutback lane. There's no picking a hole and hitting it. Like, it's, it's made it really easy. The point is, you know, you can't expect these running backs to be making plays. That'd be an unfair, unreasonable expectation. But still, it would have been nice if Jarek would have found a way just to, like, break a tackle, wiggle past a guy, whatever, and he didn't, you know? And that's true of Alex Fontenot. That's true of all these guys. So, I don't know. It's This is a conversation we could have had in almost any game this season, but, you know, just having that Darcy Kemper thing going on, it does make you realize, it's you know, you can't expect them to make plays. But if, if you're a great football player, you do make a play anyway. You make it work anyway. Um, the passing game, I mean, honestly, not a bad day from Brendan. He's 10 of 17, 162 yards, a touchdown, has an interception as well. I mean, that's, that's one of three interceptions all season. Um, definitely not a great game, but compared to some of the others, there's plenty to like. Um, especially when you consider just how much he was pressured. And and that starts with Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson, the edge rusher, was he a second-round pick? I can't remember if he wound up second or third round going to the 49ers. Um, I, I paused this. I paused this in the second quarter and went and made a bet on Drake Jackson to be defensive rookie of the year. You know, I, I hit my Kale McCarr Norris bet a couple days ago. Had that parlayed with the Jokic MVP, so the account's looking good. And I was, I've been kind of looking at futures to take. When I was watching this game, I was like, that man is a freak. You got to make the bet. And a lot of what he did came against Frank Phillip. He beat Frank Phillip inside and outside, all that stuff. They moved him around. When they did move him around and, and put him on the other side where he was working against Jake Wiley, he cooked Jake Wiley too. Um, you know, again, this is one of those themes of this team where you say, okay, you can, I mean, with the offensive line, it's a little bit different. Offensive line, you you, you stand up, you hold your own against um, against bad players. It might be fair. As soon as you play, like, average Pac-12 defensive linemen, you're, you're definitely losing more than you're winning in there. And then when you play a guy like Drake Jackson, who's one of the best pass rushers in the country last year, you just don't stand a chance. You know, you look at other positions. We'll talk about the defense a little bit, but I've said this before. You know, Christian Gonzalez, when you put him against an average Pac-12 receiver, he's going to look pretty freaking good. When you put him against a good receiver, it's going to be a battle. When you put him against Drake London, he's not going to look that good. And that's kind of the level player he is. And this offensive line, like I said, you're just a step down from there. Maybe, honestly, two steps down from there, or at least you were last season. Um but Drake Jackson was everywhere. I mean, what's what do the stats say? Uh, two sacks, two tackles for loss. He also he had another hurry. He had a pass breakup in there on just a swatted ball. There was one play where somebody else like stripped Brendan that fumble I mentioned. Ball just kind of pops up in the air. Drake Jackson catches it, runs it back. Oh, does it say how far he ran it back? Not on these stats, but ran it back quite a ways. Actually, I can pull that up. Um, Oh, sack for zero yards. These ESPN just sucks. I shouldn't be using these stats anyway, so I can't tell you. But he he was off and running for twenty yards at least, probably. Um, just a freak, just a freak. And you saw how how it, it kind of panicked Brendan. 
Um, because of course it would, because he he was pressured more than any but maybe two other quarterbacks in the country last year, and this game I would guess was the bulk of the reason why. Like if you're looking at games that impacted the that stat the most, this was probably the one because it was every play. I mean, it looked like Drake Jackson was going up against high school players. Like, it looked like he was going through drills. Like, you could almost see him working on his technique. Like, there were plays where even when he didn't get to the quarterback, you just watch him dip around the edge, and you're just like, that looks like you're treating this like a drill. Like, your your form is just perfect, which I guess, like, it should be. Like, that's you practice so it looks that way in games. But it doesn't look like you're, you know, when, when pass rush you're getting the backfield, you know, unless you're Vaughn Miller just shaking guys, beating them clean, dipping around the edge, and getting big when you get to the quarterback. I mean, some of those guys, they do look like that. But for the most part, you're kind of fighting, right? Like, there's a way the play is supposed to go, and half your pressures are going to be, oh, you tried the thing, it didn't quite work. Well, guess what? Quarterback's moving this way. I can kind of get back around inside and get to him. This all just kind of looked like everything was going according to Drake Jackson's plan. And like I said, like he's a really good football player. And watching this, it's not like I just said, like, wow, the Buffs made him look good. No, I legitimately went and put a bet on him at plus 3,000 or something. I think it was plus 3,000, 30 to 1 odds to win NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. And I feel pretty good about that bet. I mean, honestly, it's the competition for sacks on that team that scares me the most, but I feel good about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made it. But it's that's where things started. And there were other guys getting pressure as well. Um, the, the, the receivers, I mean, did get a decent amount of separation. Like there are things you look back at, you know, off coverage, Daniel Arias out there all alone with, with a corner who's 15 yards back. He threatens him deep. He pushes hard upfield, runs a little comeback. He's wide open. Brendan hits him. Like there were positives in there as well. You know, Chase Penry, this was maybe his only touchdown of the season. Uh, let me double check on that. Okay, good. Only touchdown. Not, I mean, not good that he didn't get another, but I didn't forget one. Um, in the red zone, I think maybe seven yards out, eight yards out, something like that. Um, just the burst off of the line stands out. The the way he sets up the de, the defender before he breaks outside, like that stands out. The separation he gets on the safety off that break. Like I, the safety's supposed to be sitting outside there. He's able to pull him in with that setup and then bang, get outside of him. Like that was, that was some really clean route running from Chase Penry, and it's it's really exciting to see him do something like that. Um, I think that was his only catch on the day. I, I think I, I still put him as one of the three stars of the game for Colorado, just because of that one play. It looks so clean. Yeah, one one catch, seven yards. It was a touchdown. Um, but but that was a great play. And Brendan hit him perfectly. Um, Jarek finally makes a run with three minutes and a half. Oh, Dion looked good. Um, again, that's a speed defense. That's what they do. They're fast. Dion was able to get to the edge on him and score a touchdown. That means something. And he finishes day, what, seven carries for 12 yards and a touchdown? That's not great. But, again, that's a team that was kind of getting bullied in the trenches, um, at least offensively. And... Dion was able to to catch an edge. It, it looked it, it was a nice looking touchdown run. Props to him for that. Um, do, 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 do. Nah, there's just some notes. Like there's one sack they gave up where both tackles and a guard got beat. Just brutal. Um, yeah, 
that's it for the offense. Real quick, Breckenridge Brewery is awesome, and they've got an awesome promotion still going. I'm not sure if it's too late to get in on the tickets for tomorrow. I guess it is still worth going and registering and nominating an Avs fan uh, who is a community star, somebody who deserves to go see them in this cup final. Um, get, get beers, get beer, or get gear, all that sort of stuff. Um, so, so do that. And also, on game days, buy yourself an Avalanche Amber Ale at, at, at any bar, anywhere. Take a picture of your receipt. If the Avs score two goals in the first period, you get to send in that receipt. They'll send you a rebate. Um, they'll pay for your beer. It's awesome. Um, they're also donating donating a dollar of... I think it's a dollar. I can't remember exactly. Now that I say it out loud, that might be wrong. Um, I think a dollar of every beer that they sell, every Avalanche Amber Ale, goes to the uh, the fund to help Boulder County Fire victims, which is a good thing to do. And that ends at the end of the the cup run. So even if even if they don't score those two goals and you get for free, the money's going to a good cause. Uh, they do cool stuff like all that. So definitely get in on everything that Breckenridge Brewery is offering at breckbrew.com. And also Sexy Pizza. I've mentioned this before, but Sexy Pizza has been bringing pizza to the bar for, like, not for people who go to the bar, just for, like, the Avs guys and their show, and they promote it, and they eat it during, and all that sort of stuff. And they bring four pizzas and some garlic knots, and that is plenty for those guys, which means there is plenty for me as well, which is awesome. Um, I, only, I had the pepperoni last night. I didn't want to bug them while they were on camera, and I never got up there at a good time because there's so much going on downstairs. Um I really wanted that one with the peppers and the little mozzarella balls on top, like bonus cheese. So good. Definitely get in on their deal, which is 15% off your order during the Stanley Cup final run. Go www.sexy.pizza. Use the promo code DNVRAVS. That's A-V-S, no space, nothing like that. You'll get 15% off your entire order. It's awesome, and it only runs to the end of the Stanley Cup, so make sure that you get in on this while you can. All right. The defense. Um, this is where the... I, I can't even say physicality, because it's not like they got bullied. There was this point in the game, though, where it seemed like the defensive strategy changed a little bit. Um, and, and what happened was, early in the game, USC was able to make plays in the air. There was a nice run or two in there as well. And Keontae Ingram, actually, I can't remember where he wound up in the draft. Um, I bet actually he'll show me on this page. Uh, he had a he had a good game. He had some good runs where he kind of created something for himself out of nothing. He was a six round pick to the Cardinals. He's gonna be good. Um, but there were there were one or two good runs early on. But for the most game, it was the passing game, or for the most part, it was the passing game that opened things up. Um, they opened an empty just you know, motion a guy across, see that it's man coverage, run a slant from the slot where there's nobody there. Like, it's just stuff like that where you're just like, yeah, this is, that's good football. That's you realizing what's happening right there, realizing where you have leverage, and bang, taking your seven yards out of it. Um, and that's how things started. You know, there's there's other plays in there. You know, Tyron Taylor had a great pass breakup on a third down. Um, Terrence Lang and Carson Wells played really well. They were blowing guys up, getting in the backfield. Carson in particular played really well. Um, There's other things going on than just getting beat in the passing game. Uh, But you wind up in a situation where you're losing in coverage and you're holding your own at the very least in the running game and you think you have the pieces to defend the run. Um, But when they went up 20-0, to that drive... 
maybe didn't start. There might have been a play or two beforehand, but there were three big runs back to back to back that really set them up in position to turn that into a touchdown drive. Um, let me see. Where was that? Was that right after half? No, no, it was not. Uh, pretty early in the second quarter. Um, but they were the first three plays. Um, 10-yard run for Keontae Ingram, 13-yard run, 11-yard run, and all of a sudden they're at midfield, and that just opens things up. And um, They wound up with a big play where Isaiah Lewis blew a coverage on an athletic tight end, um, just kind of got mossed. Maybe a little push-off in there, too. He got called for a push-off later, which might have been a bit of a makeup call. It's whatever. Isaiah Lewis, good at what he does, but when you put him next to those freak tight ends, those athletic jumper basketball types, yeah, that's not his game. Um, point is those big runs came because they were getting beat up a little bit in the passing game. And so they sat back and what that looked like was a four man front, four guys on the line of scrimmage with Nate behind them. And in that spread offense that USC runs, they have their five blockers, those five linemen up front. And so you wind up with a five on five. And when you're five on five as a defense against the run, that means somebody needs to make a play by getting off a block and, and getting a tackle. Typically, when you're trying to defend the run, you you have an extra man. You know, you have all the blockers. All the blockers have somebody blocked, and you have one more guy to make the tackle. Sometimes it's even more than that, depending on who you're playing and how you have to scheme things up. But all those runs, like those are safeties making tackles 10, 13, 11 yards downfield. And you could see that coming. And this is one of the few times where I look at the the game plan defensively and say, oof, I do not like that. I do not like what that plan was because you just gave them the first 30-something yards of that drive and shortened the field the rest of the way. Um, and again, you, you understand why they're flipping to defending the pass a little bit more. Drive before, six plays, 64 yards. Uh, that that was the one where Drake London just dominated Christian Gonzalez. Um, dominated him. And he had a 29-yard catch, a 28-yard catch, and a touchdown catch all in the same drive. You'll remember that one-handed touchdown catch. Just a freakish sort of drive. And when that sort of thing happens against your number one corner, you do have to change things up. You know, it feels weird just to say, leave him on an island out there. Uh, you you want to help him out. You want to at least turn that into a zone and have an underneath defender so he can focus more on playing on top. Whatever you want to do. Um, and that switch came and it opened up the running game a little bit um in hindsight and I bet Chris Wilson agrees with it uh, I'd be curious I would say you say sorry Christian we've got to make sure that what we give up is only this so we got to leave you on this island against one of the best receivers in the country and make sure that that is our one weakness because as soon as you start getting beaten in the passing game or in the running game or you know I guess those are kind of the two ways in football. But but when you don't know where the the attacks are coming from, where your weaknesses are, because they seem like they're kind of everywhere, all of a sudden you have nothing to build off of. And, you know, if this had worked and they'd taken away the passing game by switching to this, that's great. But it was still kind of leaky. Uh, and, and it didn't really matter because they were running the ball anyway and they could just do that. So big picture, that's what went wrong is – I think they came out, and honestly, I remember thinking like, oh, they look like they're coming out a little bit heavy considering what they're going up against. At least that gave you something to work off of. At least it gave you a clear strength, which was we can defend the run here. As long as we don't miss tackles, and there were a couple of those, or blow assignments, and you know there were a couple of those. As long as we play good ball, they're not going to be able to run on us. 
we just need to make sure that that are the guys in the passing game know that the the game is kind of on them. The defensive performance is kind of on them to go make some plays when they don't have the numbers advantage that they probably like to have against this offense. Um, so that was kind of the story here. And obviously it didn't work out. You gave up 37 points to him and it's a good offense. And they've, they've got a lot of good pieces everywhere. Drake London was the best receiver in the country. In my opinion, most talented, at least it, it is what it is, but, this is kind of continuing this trend of, yeah, this happened. You, you struggled early on against Arizona State after being dominant for the most part up to that point. You know, obviously against Northern Colorado, but then also against Texas A&M and for the first three quarters against Minnesota. Ever since then, there was kind of this little bit of a switch. Um, and I think some of it has to do with game planning as well. In terms of the details here, um, we, we can say... Uh, I mentioned Carson Wells, Tyron Taylor, Terrence Lang, uh, Isaiah Lewis had that mistake. Guy Thomas forced a fumble. He made a couple plays. There was also like a play, um, I think it was a touchdown pass, I believe. It might have just been a, a big play. Yeah, it was a touchdown. There it is. Um, where Isaiah Lewis was in the deep coverage, Guy was in the short coverage, and you just look and say like, well... If half the responsibility covering the football is on Guy Thomas, the tight end is going to beat him. Like that's just that's just what's going to happen, and that's that's a bad choice of personnel. Now you gotta keep him honest. You can't have Guy do the exact same thing every time he's on the field if he's lining up as an outside linebacker, because at that point make him a defensive lineman, right? Because you need those linebackers to show some versatility. Otherwise, your whole defense gets predictable. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why they want to go this four-man front and let Guy Thomas just play defensive line and go forward. Um, but that's another conversation. Still, it was mostly on an Isaiah Lewis, the touchdown he gave up, but his job was much tougher because he didn't have the support underneath that kind of rerouted the guy, made it obvious. The, the tight end could have broken almost any direction and well worked out, and that's a tough position for the safety to be in, um, although he did break toward where it was in his zone. Um, Nigel Bethel had another good game. The deep downfield made a nice play on the ball, um, break it up. Um, Mark Perry made a couple of mistakes tackling, but again, I mean, he's tackling a guy who wound up in the NFL, missing one or two from a sophomore safety. Can you be that surprised? Probably not. Um, he also had some really nice pop on a couple of hits that, that stood out. Makes you wonder if that's what he would become going forward, somebody who does have that sort of hitting power, stopping power. Who knows? Um but that was, a, that was a game. I mean, it was basically the Drakes on both sides. Drake London made a bunch of plays catching the football that changed how the defense had to defend, open things up for the rest of the offense. That's what a great player does, and he's a great player. That was the story of that battle, that offense versus the Buffs defense. Um, on the defensive side, it was Drake Jackson blowing up the running game, blowing up Brendan Lewis. I mean, that poor guy... That that was probably the most pressure he faced all season was in that game. Um, but that was the story. The two Drakes. And it, it, football isn't basketball. You know, basketball is a game of stars. It's star versus star. Which star plays better is probably going to be what decides the game. Football isn't quite that way, but college football is more so just because the talent gap is bigger. And when you have two really good players like that, I don't know that that's the difference, you know, the 37 to 14 deficit, but it might have been the difference between 
21 to 14 and 37 to 14, you know, or more likely, you know, 28 to 21 instead of 37 to 14. Um, so that's, I think, the big takeaway. Stars can just take over games. Stars can just take over games, and you hope that Colorado can find some this season. Um, that's going to do it for today. I'm going to head over get my hair cut before this draft. Be on the lookout for draft content. Obviously, write some stuff up about Jabari. Hopefully, that he's getting drafted. Podcast coming tomorrow. We'll talk about these recruits tomorrow. I'm excited about that, and we will talk then.